0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies.
2: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown On Bengals podcast. Joe, you're back from behind enemy lines accusing the Patriots of spying, and the NFL continues to investigate, so we'll take a look at that in addition to the Bengals preliminary injury report on Wednesday. Looks like another week without A.J. Green. So while A.J. Green continues to look like he won't play, he didn't talk to the media, he worked out inside continuing his rehab, Zach Taylor continues to leave the door open saying AJ wants to play this year and they're going to continue to give him that opportunity, which is why we haven't seen Green go to the IR while other players like Auden Tate this week have gone to the IR. But at the quarterly owner meetings today in Dallas, Ian Rappaport reports that the investigation into the latest Patriots cheating scandal, Spygate 2.0, whatever it will be eventually dubbed by the media will continue. As Roger Goodell says, that it's under review. They're going to be thorough. They're going to take their time. It will not be resolved over the course of these meetings currently going on in
1: Dallas. And they've already looked at the tape, and we know that from Paul Dinner of the Athletic that it focused on the Bengals sideline and the coaches, and eight minutes directly of footage of that sideline. I think now the investigation, if you know, if I'm going to assume here, what's going to happen is that they're going to look into the, the legitimacy of this craft. A media group that's making a documentary and see if it's real because this is something we were told before in previous Spygate incidences that they had this excuse on the ready just in case they were ever caught.
2: Yeah, it's really similar to the last iteration of Spygate. The excuses were ready to go. It sounds like the Patriots were a little bit more prepared for this one. And what we'll need to determine is if indeed this video production, this advanced scout day in the life feature that they're working on is in fact just a front to continue to spy on teams or if as Bill Belichick says he has no contact with the video crew you just think that after they've already been caught for this they wouldn't be doing anything that would even put them in the position like why are you bringing a camera into the press box and pointing it at the field at all you should you should have the wherewithal not to do that so We'll have to see what happens here. The Bengals sound frustrated, according to Ian Rappaport, waiting for answers, trying to figure out what the heck was going on there. NFL executive Troy Vincent also said the investigation is pending. He's still gathering information. He's going to continue that when he returns to New York. So we'll have to wait and see on this one, but it certainly sounds incriminating for the Patriots. Other topics in Dallas. Sounds like there's going to be a thorough evaluation of officiating. And this is something that I bet everyone is excited to hear about. Competition committee's Rich McKay says that the PI replay rule will be a point of discussion. Troy Vincent also said they're going to look at everything when it comes to officiating. He's going to evaluate, inform the committee, come up with a report. This is a state of officiating. This is what we're going to do to try to improve consistency. So we'll look for some improvements in those departments from the NFL this offseason.
1: And if there's a common complaint from NFL fans while watching, it's the officiating and it's the uh, the density of the rule book. I, f- I think there's so many layers and there's so much gray area that – one day it's called something the next day it's called something else and you just can't get any type of consistency as a fan for your expectations or even i think i wonder if the officials are even frustrated themselves they're the ones getting aired out a little bit there when if you ever read the rule book man there are so many layers that contradict each other and and you can end up with your own interpretation of the rule just based on reading uh, the language so cleaning it up defining it a little bit more and It seems every time they fix something, like, what is a catch? We don't have that issue anymore. But now we have an issue of what is pass interference. Every time they fix one, they open up another uh, point of contention. I like when they
2: pilot stuff in the preseason before bringing it into the regular season to see how it's going to work, then take the time to evaluate, okay, how did it work in the preseason before immediately throwing it into the rules? Absolutely, you need someone to be able to say hey that was pass interference but it shouldn't be challengeable this was an easy fix from the beginning make it a sky judge call always something that comes from new york and if you have to do what they do in college where they don't let you start the play what they do in the two minute warning where they don't let you start the play until they've had time to determine whether they need to review it or not so be it But that's what you need to do to get it right. It removes all this wasted challenges and inconsistency that we saw with the Bengals this week. We do have a few injury updates to get to you. Sam Hubbard continues to work his way back from that knee injury. He was still limited today. And John Ross appears back on the injury report with a foot ailment. We don't have more details than that. He was limited. Rennell Wren also limited for the first time this season. The rookie with a hip injury. And he's shown some flashes. So you hope he gets a chance to finish the season strong. Meanwhile, for the Patriots, the two most notable are Julian Edelman, who is a DNP with a knee shoulder injury. Those are two separate injuries, I imagine. And Mohamed Sanu was limited with an ankle injury. So a depleted offense for the Patriots continues to be depleted as they're missing some wide receivers in practice
1: today. And I think it was Ben Baby of ESPN that said they saw John Ross at practice and that's in the media portion, so that's the beginning, mostly walk-through stretches, some positional drill things and, 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 the, and the such. But uh, afterwards, it's when John Ross shows up on the injury report, so that means it happened during practice. It's at least safe to assume that, which is scary because that means we don't know the extent. This isn't like a limited situation where – They kept him limited just because he was dealing with something. This sounds like we have to wait till tomorrow at least to get any idea if it's going to affect him this week or if he's going to miss time or bounce right back into the lineup.
2: And it sounds like this happened after the press conferences, so we might not get any real answers unless somebody talks to the media because it won't be coming from Zach Taylor unless one of these beat reporters catches somebody when they're coming off the field. If they catch John Ross on his way off the practice field, that's the only way we'll get those answers. So... We hope that he gets healthy because with Auden Tate out, if you're down to just Erickson, Tyler Boyd, and undrafted free agents, things get real dicey. And while we don't expect the offense to have much success against the Patriots in the first place, we still want to see the things that we want to see. We want to see growth from young players. We want to see the individual performances. And without any weapons, really, at wide receiver, that makes the entire evaluation much more difficult, but that aside, don't get hurt at work, right? You don't want to get hurt in the workplace the way that John Ross has gotten hurt for the Bengals over the years. Maybe, just maybe, the Bengals need some help from our sponsor, Abco Safety, to keep some of these guys safe at their job. Their safety distributor in Cincinnati. They're partnered with 3M to sponsor the Locked On Bengals podcast for the third time this season, which we really appreciate. If you or your company purchase safety equipment, you should give them a call because they will save you money on your safety budget. Joe, what are you looking at today on www.avcosafety.com?
1: I'm looking at high visibility gear, and this is good for if you're a runner or you, or you do anything in a dark area or construction workers, right? But I think high visibility gear would be good for the two Patriot scouts so they can be seen wherever they go next time they're trying to spy on someone. The, bang, the Bengals have two scouts.
2: The Patriots probably have more than two, but regardless, I think that's a good idea. If you're walking your dog, too, right? If you're doing any walking in in, in the afternoon, in the winter, I see people all the time. I almost hit somebody driving home from dinner the other day coming up over a hill. They're wearing all black. My vision's washed out by a car coming in the opposite direction. I see them at the last minute. Protect yourself at night, folks. Get some high-vis gear. Check out abcosafety.com. Or if your company needs a new corporate supplier Give them a call 513-672-1818 and mention the podcast Locked On Bengals. Let them know you heard about them from us. They will save you money. Their corporate prices are better than their prices online. So again, that's 513-672-1818 to get a hold of Abco Safety.
0: All the way up to a thousand bucks. The terms are simple. You put in two hundred dollars, they'll match you with another hundred dollars in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at My Bookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it.
1: Jumping right into the mailbag, we got some good questions this week. Uh, the first one here is from Duder the I think that's how you say it. So he wants to know what do we do with AJ Green if he doesn't play one game this season? His Twitter name is also Go Away Mike Brown.
2: So which is quality? In addition to Dude the, which doesn't make any sense. Go Away Mike Browns. So we know he's a Bengals fan. He also asked, "What in the hell do you do with Billy Price? So what do you do with AJ Green if he doesn't play him one game this season? Either way, you extend him." And I think that's kind of where the Bengals have gotten themselves at this point. They know what he can do. Zach Taylor has said this too. They know what he can do in a sand tape. And as long as there's nothing going on behind the scenes. Many, many people in Cincinnati continue to vent and say, he's not playing, he's sandbagging, they're paying him, he's not fulfilling his end of the deal. You guys need to shut the hell up because we don't know anything about that. By all indications, he's had setbacks in his recovery. But you know what he can do when he's healthy. There's no real reason to believe that he's injury prone. He's getting older, so recovery's taking a little bit longer. You don't love that, but you still know what he can do. He can be an important piece for a rookie quarterback, so you just bring him back.
1: I have concerns, obviously, like a lot of people, of his durability at this point. I think you should. I think anyone that misses a year and a half with two different injuries and m- multiple setbacks, I think you have to be concerned at, at his age, uh, you know, just what amount of money and guarantees and you should give him. And as soon as you tread into that water of maybe it's, it's like a Tyler Eifert deal or maybe it's incentive-laden, maybe it's based on how many games he plays, as soon as you jump into there – you're going to lose him. Yep. You're going to lose him to another team. And that's the scary part. The Bengals have made it very clear they want him. They've made it very clear that they want to keep him and they'll pay him. But if they try to skirt it at all and protect themselves, I believe another team will pay him. And that's the hard part because uh, it could come back to bite him. They could pay him in four years and give him $60 million and he's injured or not as good anymore because we haven't seen him in so long. Uh that's a possibility. It's just a, it's a risky situation, but they can't afford to, you know, do the Andrew Whitworth thing.
2: Yeah, nobody wants to see that happen again, right? And another team, will, like you said, absolutely pay him. Everybody knows what AJ Green can do. Injuries are largely luck, and he has been unlucky for the last year and a half. Like you said. The salary cap next year has also been announced to be over 200 million dollars, or in the 198 to 201 million dollar range. So if the Bengals don't spend the money on AJ Green and they don't spend that money on Andy Dalton, well, that's 31, 32 million dollars coming off the books, in addition to a 10 million dollar jump in the salary cap. So where the hell are you spending the money? Just bring AJ Green back. The salary cap keeps going up. Extensions almost never look bad in the NFL the way they can in baseball because of the way the salary cap continues to boom and can be manipulated. Yeah. As, as far as what do you do with Billy Price, That I mean, you let him play out his rookie deal, right? And if he doesn't improve, he goes the way of a boy. The,
1: the issue with these rookies when they don't perform is their contracts are guaranteed, so you've already paid for them. Um, you kind of just got to ride it out. If you give him away, you're really just giving him away. Even if you got like a fifth-round pick in return, It's not worth it, right? You're eating that salary already. You're giving somebody a free first-round pick that maybe he's nothing. Maybe he can't play. But, like, Eric Flowers, you know, traded from the the Giants, finds his way to the Redskins this year and was decent. He's at least a starter. a boy, he has helped the Jags. You know, for another team, sure, he's played and had to play. Their offense isn't good. I just mean if he's your swing tackle and you got him for nothing, you feel good about it. Now, for Billy Price – if he's your swing interior offensive lineman that you didn't spend a first-round pick on, fine. But it's different for us because of our evaluation and what we spent and and our expectations for him are completely different. Uh, you know, not making excuses. He is hurt, and he's been hurt. His, the the large selling point for Billy Price was what? Durability. Look at this guy. He's durable. 55 straight starts, guard and center. Well, that's been the opposite. He's been unhealthy since he's gotten here. Before they even drafted him, he's played guard and center poorly so what is he and what can you do with him? Are, are we even getting a fair evaluation or a fair view of what Billy Price and why they drafted him as high as they did? Uh, I don't think we are. So you've got to mm. hold him. You've got to wait and hopefully he gets healthy. And if he does, you play him. And if he helps, then he helps. If not, then whatever. You keep moving because first round picks and their salary don't kill you like they used to.
2: Yeah, and you, you at least let him play for one more year. I don't think they're going to release him prematurely like you see with some other first round picks. He's still a good guy in the locker room. He's not disrupting anything in there. He just isn't playing up to expectations. He's also been hurt since he came into the league that this year he's dealing with a back thing all year. And this is why I say injury stuff is luck, right? Because everyone's like, oh yeah, he's an Man. He played 55 games in a row when he's 18 to 22 years old or whatever. Then he comes into the NFL, he hits his mid-20s, and, and you know, aging happens. Guys get hurt in this league. It's a violent sport. Puts a lot of tax on the body, especially these guys in the trenches. So you, you, you let him play. You hope that this is injury related. You hope that maybe he can figure something out here. And if he doesn't, then you move on. But exactly what you said. It's not a huge financial burden. They don't gain anything from cutting him. So you just keep mm-hmm. him on the team. And if he's a backup, he's a backup. And, and you just live with it. Our next question comes from Mike A. Talby. Would you rather fight 10 badger-sized Geno Atkinses or one Geno Atkins-sized
1: badger? Let me read this correctly. 10 badger-sized Geno Atkins. <laughs> okay, so they're tiny, relative, thick defensive tackles, right? Strong. <laughs> they're like minions, but with arms. Uh, or one geno size. I'd rather fight 10 little baby Genos than one Geno-sized badger. That's like fighting. Animals are animals. They're much more, I'm going to say animalistic. They're much more, they're they're out there in the wild, man. Imagine fighting one the size of Geno Atkins, 300 pounds, six foot one. No, no thank you at all.
2: I think you're probably pretty dead either way. So yep. say it's a honey badger. Honey badgers weigh 30 pounds. You're going right. to have 30 pounds of the most muscled up honey badgers
1: Kind Coming of at you. Like, Ten of them. Genos. They're genos, though. They're not honey badgers. I know, but, oh, right. They're humans. So, you know, it, at the very least, there's no claws or anything. Yeah, he's strong. Like, I've, I've got a 30-year-old. Okay, I yeah, mean, no, easy, I, easily I've got ba- a three-year-old is... 30-pounder, and she sometimes connects with you, and you go, geez, man, you know, because they don't know their own strength. But, like, Geno Atkins hitting you even at 30 pounds would probably hurt.
2: It would hurt, but they're so small
1: right. that you that can, you can handle it.
2: A a, a three hundred pound badger. No I mean, thanks. That, that's just a a, a a what like a medium a sized bear at that right. point.
1: No thanks. Right. Yeah, I'm not interested in that at all. Ready for the next one? That's from Jake, Juicy Jake. That's your cousin. Assuming the Bengals draft Joe Burrow and release Dalton, do you think they bring in a veteran quarterback to help groom
2: the rookie? I think someone needs to explain to you how cousins work.
1: Oh, it's your brother then
2: uh yeah sure sure buddy uh so do they bring in a veteran qb to help groom the rookie no i don't think so i don't think that that would be a priority right they feel probably like they have three quarterbacks coaches on this team they think that he's coming from a pro style system he's incredibly polished he mm. is incredibly accurate. He'll he'll need an adjustment, just like most rookie QBs do. But I don't think that that's something that they would prioritize. I think they probably feel like Ryan Finley will be the backup, and if Joe Burrow isn't ready, they'll run Finley out there and just be like, "All right, whatever. We're having another transition year."
1: If the- and there is there is a question coming up of did Ryan Finley. Play himself out of the backup job, and I think yeah. there's potential for that. Uh, but, but I don't. I think the the contention with the question from Juicy Jake here is is the veteran coming in to groom Joe Burrow? I don't think Joe Burrow's that type that you no. need to bring in a guy to groom him. Sure, any type of veteran support I think helps in the room, uh, but I don't think that's required from that's not that situation. Like taking Jordan Love, who just uh, declared for the NFL Draft out of Utah State. I want a veteran to groom him, yep. and before he just gets thrown in there. For me. Uh, Joe Burrow, comes in probably day one as your starter.
2: Yeah, I I think so too. So I I don't think it's required for Burrow, especially with the extra QB coaches on this team. Do they go get a veteran generally? Well, if you're not going to spend the money on A.J. Green, sure. Why not, right? So this kind of goes back to what they do at these other positions. If they're not going to spend the money on their veterans that are currently on the team, then they have to spend the money somewhere. And Mike Brown likes to spend that money in ways that we usually don't agree with. So sure, maybe they go sign, I don't know. They've always had a bad Jake backup. Locker. Is he still around?
1: <laughs> right, but they've always had like Bruce Gretkowski to Jason Campbell to A.J. McCarron. They never they've... spent money on those guys. John Kitna. no, de- no, I, not money, but like a Bruce Gretkowski, Jason Campbell are a million bucks a year type guys, right? If I remember their contracts correctly, they're not, and which is probably minimum for a guy that's five to six, seven years in the league. Uh, so they never paid for them. They didn't pay for McCarron, but they did make sure they had a guy they they liked or wanted, which is probably just typical for every team.
2: I mean, right now, backups, good backups, right? Quote, unquote, good backups. So Chase Daniels, $6 million, Ryan Fitzpatrick, $5.5 million. Joe Flacco, $5 million. Chad Henney's making $4.1 million this year. So, I mean, these guys cost a little bit more than the Bengals tr- typically pay for right. backup quarterback. I, I'm not opposed to it necessarily because... I mean they don't have a backup quarterback on the roster right now unless Jake Dolagala is making some strides that we're not seeing or make some strides next off season that we haven't seen yet, but it's just not a priority to me if if Joe Burrow is a guy you draft. If it's Tua, sure, you need you need the guy. If it's Jalen Hurts, Jordan Love, any of those guys, sure, you need the guy, but I don't see it as much for Burrow like you. So don't lose any sleep over the whole not having a veteran backup, a veteran to groom the rookie Joe Burrow. But if you are losing sleep, go check out Casper at casper.com slash locked NFL, get a hundred dollars off select mattresses. That's a pretty cool deal. And if you listen to this in the car and you think that's a good offer and you forget what the offer was, you can always go to dot slash offers to get a list of all the offers we currently have running on the Locked On podcast
1: network. Next question is from my man, Brandon Kuhn and Brandon asks if you have the number one pick, you know the choice is going to be Joe Burrow. What are your first three moves in free agency uh, Yeah, for the Bengals? Well,
2: I think Joe Marino over the Draft Network stole two of them, and one of them is Jack Conklin, and the other one is linebacker Corey Littleton. Although, as the season wears on, and Nick Vigil is showing some signs, and Jermaine Pratt is showing some signs, it's kind of taking me away, despite how bad linebacker play has been in Cincinnati for the last two years, From approaching linebacker via free agency. Because if you sign Littleton, then then you have three linebackers. Then what are you doing with your main Pratt? I mean, it's not the worst problem to have, right? Having good players, but and Littleton has been very, very good in coverage. So those two are probably guys where I'm starting, because they should have a ton of money in free agency. And then I'm probably looking interior, perhaps. I think there's some good guards in the draft, but Is that really where you want to be spending your draft capital in this year's draft? Maybe depending on who it is, maybe in round two, round three. But if I can shore up my offensive line linebacker, feel good about three moves there. Jack Conklin. Shores up right tackle big time. Corey Littleton Mm. is all you need at linebacker. If you bring back Nick Vigil. So maybe that's one of the moves. And if you can find that other interior guy on the offensive line, then you can go into the draft and say, all right, in the second round, I'll get a falling wide receiver or a falling sure. you know, corner. corner defensive tackle, defensive end, whatever it is. Yeah. At that point, you can say the draft is strong in some areas. We're going to get a first round guy in the second round for sure, because we're going to be picking at the top of it. That gives you the flexibility there.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I'll let me nominate Graham Glasgow as that guard from Detroit. Uh, maybe he wants to play with his brother, right? And if if Ryan Glasgow still here, but I think he'd be a good fit at left guard there. He's played center also before they took Frank Ragnow. So uh, you get a little bit of flexibility there. I, I was going to say is re-signing, you know, A.J. Green, Trey Hopkins, part of those moves, because I think keeping those two are, um, would help, you know, obviously eliminate needs or eliminate priority in drafting. Because there is a scenario where, think about it, if they lose A.J. Green, they don't uh, pick up the fifth-year option on John Ross, depending on these last three games go or whatever they you're looking at second round potentially drafting receiver right Uh, because you've got Joe Burrow you want to support him you Mm -hmm. want to make sure you have talent you're really looking at it like Auden Tate and Tyler Boyd yeah you've got Erickson but uh, I think so getting green getting Hopkins uh, re-signing maybe Andrew Billings those kind of start eliminating some pressure to add to those positions too early and is Josh Tupo a free
2: agent because that would add him to the list as well yeah. There are a bunch of guys I would want them to extend at this point. I want them to extend Vigil at this point after seeing that he's been one of the top 10 linebackers in the NFL the last four weeks, according to PFF.
1: Yeah, if he finishes it,
2: then yeah. you've got no choice. If he continues to play this way for the rest of the year, and it's not like they're playing good offenses, right? So New England, bad offense. Miami, bad mm-hmm. offense. Cleveland, Cleveland again. he played pretty well this week. So if he finishes the season that way, that means that he's playing well for a half a season. Yes, it's a contract, but we have reason to believe that it's a genuine improvement from Vigil as the defense has evolved. So Vigil is a guy that you're definitely bringing back. Billings has played great all year. Tupo's played great all year. Hopkins has played well enough, you say. And and the reason that I didn't talk about those is because ideally those extensions happen before free
1: agency opens. Sure, but there has been definitely day one, day two type deals where the Bengals finally get those guys signed. Clint Bowling, George Loca, who we'll talk to tomorrow. Um our guys mind. You. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you told everyone already. I didn't, but Vance Meek
2: spoiled it, so whatever. Now everybody knows. Next question comes from Reds fan, at Cincy Redlegs fan. If somehow the Bengals pick third and Burrow and Chase Young are gone, do you think that they would pull the trigger on Tua Tungo Viola?
1: I think that's the next logical decision. I, I think we would have to debate the upside, and I'm using air quotes, of Justin Herbert because of we. Man, I, You know, this, I, this is a longer discussion, but whenever I think I know something in football, I flip it within, within a few years. I don't know if you feel this way, Jake, but when I think of Justin Herbert and his upside, I'm looking at physical upside. Or what I used to say would be upside it was just your physical ability. What's the maximum you could be uh, based on your physical ability? But there are so many things lacking in his game. Consistency is a huge part of being a great starter, and he just doesn't have that. Uh, and touch and accuracy and and sometimes presence in the pocket, things that Joe Burrow has in spades. uh, Herbert doesn't. Now Herbert has the physical upside. So you have to debate kind of where you think or how much consistency you can get out of Herbert? I think coaching staff is going to have to debate that with personnel people on a normal team. I don't know how it works for the Bengals sometimes. but And then Tua is going to be health, obviously. If Tua was healthy, he'd be still in the debate for number one overall. We'd we'd at least have a conversation if the Bengals end up with the number one pick. But because of that unknown and uncertainty, uh, yeah, that'd be the risk in Gamble. So you end up number three. There's a guy who you would have considered at number one in Tua, do you say, okay, this is kind of some value here. If he gets healthy and maybe we keep Andy Dalton for another year, and if he gets healthy and and we can roll with Tua next year, then that seems like a solid scenario. I think I would lean that way as we sit right now.
2: You bring up a really good point there toward the end where you say, maybe we keep Dalton for another year, right? Because I think that if they end up third, are they going to try to move Dalton by the draft? Are they going to try to make a draft day (laughs) trade of Andy Dalton? Mm -hmm. What – is he still going to be on the team is essentially the question, right? Because that will impact what they do with that pick. Maybe A.J. Green's gone, right? And Andy Dalton isn't gone. Maybe they pick Jerry Judy then or CeeDee Lamb because they want to make another run with Andy Dalton. And, and I don't think that this is going to happen, but we've seen him do it before, right? So they they certainly could do it again. Maybe they take a tackle, It'd be it Jedrick mm-hmm. Wills or Andrew Thomas or whoever the top mm-hmm. tackle on their board is at that point and they just say you know what we're just going to fix the offensive line maybe they trade back i don't know what they would really make of tua at this point he's certainly done everything you need to see on tape right yeah but similar to joe burrow his production essentially equates to one year of production just because he hardly plays for alabama he plays a half of games because they go up So much in the first half. But there are reports that his rehab is progressing really well. He has a chance to go out and throw. He might be able to do a light workout for teams before the draft. And if that's the case, I think it makes things really interesting. Although it's also fully possible that if Joe Burrow goes and plays at the Senior Bowl, the Bengals will have their minds made up. So if they're picking number one, right? So if they're they're drafting third, then I take all that back, right? Because they're no longer coaching at the
1: Senior Bowl. but. You get the idea. Yeah, unless one of those top teams fire the guy. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, so the next question, let's continue on with the Joe Burrow talks from Jake Money at The Jake Money. This must be your other cousin. Who's the most Same comparable guy. quarterback? No, this no. This is Jake Money. The other guy was Juicy Jake. Oh, shit. You're, you're forgetting your family members here. You need uh, to send yeah. him a Christmas card. Who's the most comparable quarterback to Joe Burrow in the NFL right now? What's his ceiling? And what do you think the, his lowest can be? Well...
2: I talked about this a little bit with Mike Renner and Mike talks a lot about the fact that he's playing in the Joe Brady system lends you to think about Drew Brees a little bit, right? The reason that he's very different from Drew Brees is, is that he's more athletic and he's, and he's taller and he's bigger. But in terms of arm strength, Mike Renner thinks he's got a better arm than Drew Brees and he's in the same offense. He's an extremely great processor. So Drew Brees plus athleticism? So Drew Brees with, I don't know, whose athleticism would you compare? Oh, yeah, Tony Romo, the other guy that people talk about all the time. Not in
1: the league right now. It's funny because he, he did preface that, and I wonder if that's why. Um, Athleticism-wise, there are times where I'm like, man, he kind of looks like Deshaun Watson. I don't think he's that crazy of a runner, but even Watson wasn't some Lamar Jackson-type runner or anything like that. But we've seen a lot of crazy plays from Burrow with his legs. It's crazy how much Tom Brady comes up, though. You hear it from the college guys a lot. You hear it from other scouts. It's like Tom Brady is an untouchable comparison, right? Because have you ever seen a top prospect compared to Tom Brady? I don't think I have ever seen
2: that. Because what are you comparing when you compare a quarterback to Tom to Tom Brady? You're comparing the the mental acuity, right? And and that's yeah. pretty much it. Because competitiveness,
1: a... accuracy, pocket yeah, presence, sure. And and well, I, I yeah, winning in every way other than having a a, a crazy arm.
2: Well, and having good legs. Because Tom Brady doesn't move well. He's good at manipulating sure. the pocket, but he doesn't. He's not adding value with the running game the way people probably think... expect Joe Burrow to do
1: a little bit in the NFL. I think that's why people struggle with the comparison, because he's got mixes right. of so many, of so many people that it's like, I think we'll come away with maybe something completely different in five years where it's like, okay, maybe he was more of this. And I know we've got tape to, you know, it, comparisons are never a hundred percent. So I feel like I yeah. want to say he's a mix of, and this is a spectrum here, Alex Smith on the low end. Okay. Matt Ryan on the tier two, Tony Romo tier three, and Tom Brady tier four. And that doesn't mean he's going to win six Super Bowls. It just means I think he could be super effective without having a, a crazy arm uh, in every single way that Brady is effective, plus actually able to run the ball. How
2: about how about Drew Brees for tier four, right? Because if Drew Brees is a quarterback on all those New England teams, they
1: probably win more. Listen, I made that argument with Peyton Manning, too. If Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers were in New England... Oh, yeah. Someone asked me this today. Do you have to build the scheme around Joe Joe Burrow? Is there any concern there? You have to build the scheme around every quarterback you have in this league. There's a scheme built around Drew Brees. There's a scheme built around Tom Brady. You take Tom Brady out, put him in an air raid and have him run in verticals all day, he's not going to look like Tom Brady. In no. fact, he may be benched pretty quickly. So, yes, you're going to build that scheme around him. So there is some of that. If you put other, more talented guys in that New England scheme or in that New England situation, uh, they there's a chance they're they're better players. That's why I always say Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time, not the best quarterback of all time. You know, what's
2: interesting that I noticed the other day is is Joe Burrow's passing chart in terms of what areas of the field he targets isn't that dissimilar from Patrick Mahomes. Not very similar right. players in a lot of ways, but they throw to the same parts of the field. And the biggest difference is that Patrick Mahomes throws about 80 more passes behind the line of scrimmage
1: in that 80 a of offense. Yeah. A lot of screens there. The, you say they're not very similar. I think they're actually very similar. So, the, There's some big A differences. A plus arm.
2: There's there some big differences, and arm strength is one. I think arm angles is another one that is substantial. Sure. I think the creativity that Patrick Mahomes has is pretty unrivaled, and, and Joe Burrow, very good outside of structure, but not in the same sort of creative seeing stuff that you don't see very many
1: guys do if making, Joe making is, weird plays. Exactly who he is at LSU right now in the in the NFL game. There's no reason to think he won't be because a lot of these guys end up being complete, you know, transplants into the NFL game. If he's that, he's going to be one of the top off-script quarterbacks in the league. He, he and, is in college, right? He's, right? he's better. He's better. What was he? Better under pressure than anyone else in the league when not pressured. Better after three seconds than anyone else in the, in college football. Go be the PFF stats. piece. Yeah, these are all things that people say. Are you worried that it's just Joe Brady's system? No, because if anything, he's making his name and his his money outside of the scheme and outside Everywhere. of structure. Sure, he, he's great in it, right? He's fantastic in it, but he's also amazing outside of it. And I so when you get him the NFL, he's going to be one of those top five quarterbacks outside of structure. And that's where Patrick Mahomes is by far number one. And that's why I say there's some similarities. Some similarities for sure. And and I pointed that out too.
2: Just just to wrap up here. Joe Burrow is not a perfect quarterback prospect by any means, but what he's doing at the college level, and we've repeated this several times, is unprecedented. And he's doing it in every way. He's he's competing off script, under pressure, late in the snap, late after the snap, I mean, three seconds of throw, early. He's he's making the quick reads well. He's completing passes deep downfield, highest graded player for PFF in that part of the field, no turnover-worthy passes, Downfield, He's absolutely dominant in the middle of the field, in the intermediate part of the field, in crossing routes, best in college football by a huge margin. So it's not just the production. It's the accuracy on a play-to-play basis. It's the efficiency. It's the processing. And then on top of all of that, the athleticism, the outside of yeah. structure stuff, he's not perfect. He's not going to be, I don't know, you know, John Elway. He he's not the Andrew Luck prospect who's going to make literally every throw, but he's certainly good enough, and he's smart enough, competitive enough, has all the check marks you need. And I went from ninety-five percent to a hundred percent on Joe Burrow after reading that PFF piece, talking about how really the holes in his game are just so mitigated by all the things that he does so well. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that's my final point. Is I'm with you. Is that for Burrow. For and we're going to talk about it for a few more months, but my mind is made up. Uh, unless he completely goes out there and shits the bed in these final two games or maybe one, then I may take a step back. But uh as of right now, he is so far above and beyond anybody that I think I've ever scouted in terms of all the little detailed little things and the big things. And the only thing I'm really. is the arm strength. It's just okay. Yeah. It's not a hindrance to his game because he is so good at so many other levels. Uh, But it's not something you're going to build into your offense where you're like, let's throw it and chuck it downfield all day long. You're going to be a little more calculated with it, which is fine because you have to be calculated with one aspect of every quarterback in the NFL. Again, unless he pulls a Deshaun Watson and, and suddenly the arm strength boom, Cause blooms. Watson didn't have that arm. Exactly. He didn't have that arm at Clemson. And now yeah. he's got, you see him rip it down the field, you're like, whoa. Yep. So that's going to do it for this episode
2: of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. As usual, getting into passionate, spirited discussions about Joe Burrow, the future quarterback, we hope, of the Cincinnati Bengals on this podcast anyway. Tomorrow, as Joe said, we've got George Iloka for a special guest episode. He's got a new podcast going on. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about his time in Cincinnati. I'm going to talk to him about yoga because I'm a yoga teacher, fun fact. But until then, Bengals fans, have a good one.